Hillside. Try that again. Good morning, Hillside. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be standing here today. For those of you online or in person who may not be familiar with me, my name is Stephen, uh, and I'm the summer pastoral assistant. I've been coming to Hillside since I was about two years old, and after four years of Bible college in Abbotsford, I'm back. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to work here thus far. Um, also, I've so appreciated the many people within the church who have been praying for me uh, as I've prepared for today. Thank you all. This would be a lot worse without your help. Without further ado, uh, let's get into it. So today we're going to be talking about somebody in the Bible. That's generally what we do here, right? Uh, a guy in the Bible named Hezekiah. And we're going to be specifically looking at what we can learn about prayer from him. We'll be jumping around to a few different places, but for the most part, we're going to be sticking to Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. So if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to flip there. Uh, so let's start with a little bit of brainstorming. Uh, what do we know about Hezekiah already? Or perhaps a better question, who's Hezekiah? Uh, he's, he's a fairly obscure character, uh, so there's no shame if you've never heard that name before. Um, but in case you have, I'm talking like five to ten word answers, uh, just things we might already know about Hezekiah. I'll go first. Hezekiah knew the prophet Isaiah. He was a king. King of Judah. King of Judah. Anything else? We got the big one. He was about to die, and we're going to get there in a bit. Okay, so good work. This makes my job really easy. Uh, Hezekiah was a king of Judah, uh, God's people, and he's noted actually as a very good one. Uh, but to better understand him, we need a bit more context. Uh, and some of your eyes just lit up, and some died. But at this point in the history of Judah, the regional threat is the nation of Assyria. Assyria was famously brutal in their invasion policies, and they were in the midst of expanding their empire like nobody's business. Uh, the only reason Judah isn't conquered is because they pay this hefty tribute, most of their wealth, to Assyria. At the same time, religiously speaking, they're worshipping foreign gods, and the temple to the Lord, God's designated place for worship, has been closed. Enter Hezekiah. Uh, if you want to read everything there is to read about Hezekiah, and I encourage you to, it's in 2 Kings 18 to 20, 2 Chronicles 29 to 32, and Isaiah 36 to 39. Hezekiah cleanses Jerusalem of all the altars to foreign gods. He purifies the temple. He holds a nationwide Passover festival, and he restores the worship of the Lord. 2 Kings 18 verse 5 says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And that's high praise from a book that does not hesitate to critique kings. Like, seriously, read it. It's not nice. Uh, and the city left standing. Hezekiah prays to God for deliverance, because man, oh man, did they need it. And God delivers in a big way. The prophet Isaiah says to Hezekiah that God will defeat the Assyrians. And that very night, the angel of the Lord descends upon the Assyrian army and wipes them out single-handedly. Wow. 
what an incredible answer to prayer. I could give a great sermon on this, and it's a great passage. Like I said, I recommend you read it. I'd talk about faith, God's power. I'd slide in a David and Goliath connection and ask, so what army are you facing in your own life? And then I'd probably wrap things up. But that's actually not the prayer we're going to be talking about today. Because as often happens in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's a really weird story slipped in just when everything was finally making sense. So we're going to talk about that one. And so let's read together from Isaiah 38, beginning in verse 1. And I invite you to rise if you're able. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully, and with wholehearted devotion I have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, you can take a seat. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible, I really wish it was simpler. The vast majority of it is narrative and poetry, not instructions. Uh, and like in this case, there's not always a moral of the story attached. Don't you wish it was like Aesop's fables, the nice slow and steady wins the race, just for those of us who are struggling? I know I do. But I think by sharing his word with us in narrative, God is inviting us to listen closely, to pay attention to what's going on in the story. And that can be cheapened by just having the answer told to you. Anyways, on to verse 1. It starts with a bang. Isaiah, the guy from before, basically the spokesperson for God at this point in time, he knocks on Hezekiah's door and he says, Hey, you know how you're sick? Well, God says you're going to die. Have fun with that. And as we've seen, Isaiah's the real deal. To, to Hezekiah, this is essentially God telling him he's going to die. What would you do in that situation? Well, what Hezekiah does is he prays. He reminds God of his faithfulness, and he was faithful, and he weeps bitterly. Using Bill's four C's from last week, uh, this is very clearly a complaint prayer. He doesn't want to die. And almost immediately, God answers the prayer. I've heard you. I've seen you. Fifteen more years. Open and shut. Hezekiah then goes on to write this much more eloquent retelling of his time of illness and recovery. I'm going to read it, uh, and I want you to be listening while I am. It should also be up on the screen. Uh, but the main thing I want you to do is just notice what sticks out to you. First impressions versus hang on to it, because we'll be talking about it afterwards. So starting in verse 9. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, In the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, I will not again see the Lord himself in the land of the living. No longer will I look on my fellow man or be with those who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, 
my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I've rolled up my life, and he's cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am being threatened. Lord, come to my aid. But what can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things people live, uh, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it, it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You've put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you, as I am doing today. Parents tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. So first things first, um, this is a beautiful prayer and a beautiful piece of poetry. And there's some good stuff in here. But, and this can be scary to do with the Bible, so no pressure. Did anyone notice anything kind of weird? Or something about what Hezekiah says that bothers you? Again, short answers, maybe 10 to 15 words this time. Truth be told, this one rankled me a bit. So I'm curious if anyone else noticed anything. Fair enough. I had three things that I noticed. And they all fall under the umbrella of this general observation. This is kind of a bad prayer. I mean, the first thing I noticed is Hezekiah's attitude. As a person of British descent, I had been paying pretty close attention to the Euros, the European Soccer Championship, which ended last Sunday. Uh, England tragically lost in the finals. Congratulations to Italy. Uh, but I noticed something as I was watching these games, and that was that every time there was a serious penalty or call, the players on both teams would surround the referee and beg, plead, yell, criticize, sometimes swear, definitely stare down, do anything they could to get the ref to change his mind. And you know what? He never did. Not once. Sometimes they made it worse on themselves. And I asked you earlier what you would do if you received that word from God. You will surely die. You will not recover. Perhaps you were reminded, as I was, of Jesus' famous words in prayer before he was arrested. Not my will, Lord but yours. Or perhaps the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Aren't we supposed to be submissive to the will of God? But in this prayer, Hezekiah looks a little less like Jesus in the garden, and a little more like this guy from the Euros, or that guy, or all those guys. Hezekiah wastes no time in trying to persuade God out of letting him die. I played by the rules, and this is immediately after Isaiah, the prophet with a 66-chapter book in the Bible, 
told him that God said he was going to die. And so the first thing I notice is that Hezekiah has a bad attitude. It's selfish. But God answers the prayer. It's kind of interesting. Now, the second thing is bad theology. Uh, did you notice the section where Hezekiah talks about death and the afterlife? He's speaking with an understanding that once you're dead, you're dead. Worse, he's basically like, what use are dead people to you? I'm only good to you alive. Which, when we consider what we know of the afterlife from other parts of the Bible, this vision of a new creation and eternal life in physical, resurrected bodies, it seems incomplete, at the very least. It's bad theology. But God answers the prayer. It's kind of interesting. And the third element is maybe the most surprising of all. What would you imagine someone as faithful as Hezekiah would do with the extra 15 years he'd been given? And what an incredible manifestation of God's healing in his life. If you guessed absolutely nothing, you're bang on. Isaiah 39, the very next chapter, tells us a familiar story. Isaiah shows up, and he gives Hezekiah some bad news from God. Sound familiar? This time, he says Judah will be conquered by Babylon, the new kid on the block, in just a few generations. It's a good thing we know that Hezekiah is a bold prayer warrior who wouldn't let such terrible news go without a fight. I mean, listen to this. Isaiah 39, verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Oh, quite a different response. That's the end of Hezekiah's story, by the way. He, he never really comes up again in the Bible. As if that wasn't enough, the heir he has in these 15 years, Manasseh, his son, turns out to be one of the worst kings of Judah ever. Basically overturns everything Hezekiah did in his early reign. It doesn't really feel like parents making God's faithfulness known to their children. Remember that verse? I mean, these are bad outcomes. But God answers the prayer. That's really interesting. So bad attitude, bad theology, bad outcomes. We come to a significant question. Why would God answer this prayer? Frankly, I, it, it's not the kind of prayer I would answer if I were God. And there it is. If I were God. Here's a practice that's been helpful for me. Uh, every time I think, if I were God, or something to that effect, I send up a quick prayer of thanks that I am not. Uh, because I, and I suspect everyone, would mess it up very, very quickly. See, I don't think this story is about a guy giving a faithful prayer and later piously accepting Judah's destruction. I was looking at the wrong character, trying to understand what Hezekiah did to earn an answer. But this story isn't about Hezekiah. It's about God. And look at what God says through Isaiah in chapter 38, verse 5. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. A while back, Hillside did a series uh, on the name of Yahweh. And there was a passage that we learned together. Uh, does anyone remember how it started? It's Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 and 7. Anyone remember the start of that? And the Lord? Yeah, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God didn't answer Hezekiah's prayer because Hezekiah earned it. He answered it because he's gracious and compassionate. And this is what I want to communicate to you. Hezekiah shows us that your prayer doesn't have to be perfect for it to be heard. The number one factor contributing to prayers being heard isn't our attitude or our theology or even our faithfulness afterwards. It's whether we prayed or not. God in this moment is simply being merciful to a man who is honestly pouring out his heart. In spite of the fact that his attitude's selfish. Uh, sometimes when I go to pray, I remember verses like James chapter 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I think to myself, ah, oh, this prayer I'm going to pray, it's, it's kind of selfish. And I let that verse stop me from praying. But that's not the point of that verse. And I forget that Jesus poured out his whole heart before he said, not my will. So don't let your suspicion that you're being selfish stop you from praying. And with the repenting Ninevites hoping to evade catastrophe in Jonah 3, I say, who knows? God may yet relent. God might give you what you're asking for. Not certain in your theology? Good, neither am I. Keep searching for certainty, but don't let that stop you from praying. Unsure whether this is even something you should be asking for? Pray, let God figure that out. It's so much more important that you're praying at all. And if you're self-conscious about your words while you pray, and feel that you can never quite get out what you actually wanted to say, uh, this passage is great news. We read stuff like the Psalms and we assume it was come up with on the spot, in the cave. But in Hezekiah's case, it's clear that the guy went back and wrote something fancy sounding afterwards. It, in the moment, it was quite straightforward. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verse 7, Sermon on the Mount, not to heap up empty phrases. He says, people think they'll be heard because of their many words. But you're heard because God listens to your prayers, and he sees your tears. Kevin talked about two weeks ago, the God who sees. Pray, even if the words don't come out right. It's so much more important that you're praying at all. And if you, like Hezekiah, are weeping bitterly over your life, if you question God's loyalty or his goodness, or his love, or how about his existence? If you're in a situation where you can't see the way out, and it feels like God himself shut that door, do you feel that God hasn't been fair to you? Tell him that! Why not? I mean, we're, we're praying to the God who was crucified by his own people for speaking the truth to them for their own good, and didn't hold it against them. In fact, he offered them salvation. That's the ultimate expression of mercy. I think he can handle it if we're mad at him. This is by no means a guarantee that God will answer us in the ways we hope. But it's an invitation to be honest and open with God about your problems and where you perceive God in them. Too many prayers go unprayed. 
because we're afraid to say them for various reasons. But my friends, the, the point is really a simple one. Pray. Because if God was merciful enough to hear Hezekiah's prayer with all of its problems, he's merciful enough to hear ours. So it would be kind of silly of me not to suggest we pray after all that. Um, and as I was thinking about uh, ways to close, I was reminded of our brothers and sisters across the globe who uh, sometimes practice what we in the West typically refer to as Korean prayer, uh, although millions of Christians in many other Asian and African countries employ it as well. Uh, so in Korean prayer, as I've experienced it, uh, everyone prays to God at the same time in whatever language you feel most comfortable out loud. And it's a really cool expression of the body of Christ, this unity in diversity, because while we're speaking directly to God alone, we are emboldened by the voices of fellow believers who are also crying out. It's an opportunity for you to verbalize what's in your heart in community. Uh, so let's address a few elephants in the room. First off, this is not a chance to eavesdrop on your fellow congregants. Uh, as I said, this prayer is between you and God. Counterintuitively, the louder everyone is uh, and the more voices are speaking, the harder it is to hear any one voice. So I encourage you all to participate. Next, uh, while I strongly suggest you be honest and genuine, I do recognize that there are some things it's probably not safe or wise to express in this context, uh, and that's okay. So employ your discretion. Uh, finally, if you're online and in a place where it's fine to suddenly start praying out loud, I really encourage you to participate in that way. That being said, if you're having trouble thinking of what to pray, because it's not always easy, we can use Bill's four C's from last week. These things are coming in clutch. Uh, confess your need, complain to God, consider his faithfulness, or celebrate his goodness. I recommend starting with one of those uh, and then moving through as needed. Uh, we go until the last person is done. Uh, and then I'll give a quick closing prayer. Sound good? Okay, I'm going to give us a countdown, all right? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So, Lord, the incredible thing is that you caught all that. 
you hear our prayers. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.